said that he called this the drop the cow, right? You yeah. know, whenever a scene is going on too long, you just drop a cow on someone. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 71 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for, well, you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career as a senior marketer and trusted advisor, and hopefully, along the way, share some marketing street knowledge that will bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 16th of July. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, I'm joined by a friend of the show and independent marketing consultant, Dennis Shaw, and we discuss personal branding. I share a thought for the week about marketing budgets, and Robert Rose is back to transport us away for a cocktail, and we discuss livening up our customer stories in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment, delighted to welcome Dennis Shaw back to the show. Aside from being a wonderful supporter of Rockstar CMO, Dennis runs an independent B2B marketing consultancy, Retention Attention, and is a content marketing, product messaging, and social media marketing expert. He is well known in the industry as a regular columnist for CMSY and Content Marketing Institute. He runs the Bay Area Content Marketing Meetup and the Content Corner Newsletter. Great to welcome Dennis back. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Dennis. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. Or oh, I should say, welcome back. Thanks, mate, for joining us. How yes, are you? thanks for having me. And I'm, do- I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. And for people that don't know you, haven't heard you on the show before, or don't know your Twitter feed and see that you're a friend of the show, tell us a bit about yourself. Sure thing. I guess I'll start by saying I'm one of your biggest fans. So I am a yeah. regular listener of the, the Rockstar CMO FM podcast, and I'm you can often find me tweeting about it on Saturdays or Sundays. So keep up yeah. the good work. <clears throat> I am a marketing consultant. I've spent, um, I've actually have a split career. I've, my first half of my career, I've worked in IT. Then I went into marketing mm-hmm. in full-time roles. And then three years ago, I went out on my own as a consultant. So I currently, it's currently a, a one-person show, but I have an agency called Attention Retention. And I think mm-hmm. you know that early, just a few months ago, I, I <laughs> finally launched the long-awaited website for my uh, yeah. business, but I work with primarily B2B companies and often B2B tech, and I help with things like content marketing, product marketing, and social media marketing. Yeah, I loved it when you finally launched your website. It's like, <laughs> it's like cobbler's shoes, isn't it? Exactly. What well, cobbler's children's shoes? Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I know a lot of. Uh, a lot of freelance writers love to talk about uh, what is it called? Um, a writer procrastination, where it's like you got a deadline, but you just like I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm gonna get to it yeah. eventually. And I totally yeah. procrastinated my website for several years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you did a great job, and I'll include a link to it in the show notes. And of course, you run a newsletter as well, That's and right. you run uh, the content, mar- the Bay Area Content Marketing Meetup as well, which I'll also include links to. Thank you. And um, I, was, I was listening to you just earlier on, and you were saying um, on, on another podcast. <laughs> I'm always promoting other people's podcasts on here, and and you were saying that that the pandemic has actually helped you with your meetup because yeah. you're. You're connecting with people on Zoom. That's right. So <clears throat> I've run the Bay Area Content Marketing Meetup for, we are now in our sixth year. So we've finished mm-hmm. five years. We started out as a monthly in-person meetup in the Bay Area. So we had mm-hmm. some supporters that allowed us to use their facility after hours. And we'd have a, I'd find a presenter each month and we'd get some pizza. And mm-hmm. it was like, fair, it was a pretty decent growth, but we'd tend to get 10 to 20 people at each meetup. So kind of intimate mm-hmm. gatherings, which was kind of nice. And when the pandemic hit, we already had a bunch scheduled for in-person, which we obviously had to to cancel. And then I talked to some of our regular members and we said, let's just keep this going. And we got on Zoom and we actually started pretty ambitiously from once a month to once a week. Uh, Just because if if you remember the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was available. It's like, are you available? Of course I am. What else am I going (laughs) to (laughs) do? So um, 
we started we we started doing once a month on Zoom. We started at noon Pacific, so one of our members called yeah. it Zooms at noon, even though like yeah. for you or in in um, yeah other parts of the world it was evening. Yeah. And just by being listed on meetup.com, we I think we doubled our membership. So we're now up to, I think I lost count. We're I think we're close to 1,300 members on meetup.com. And before the pandemic, we were well below 1,000. Yeah, so it's, been nice. no, it's incredible. It's incredible what you've done. Um, unfortunately, it coincides with pizza and movie night in my house <laughs> on Friday. Okay. And quite often. And then sometimes uh, recording, although we do that a bit earlier, I record the... Um, Robert Rose cocktail session. Ah, yes. So, so I'm probably I've probably had a cocktail and a glass of wine by the time you're kicking <laughs> off your meetup. But um, well, the reason why I want well, I mean, I'd invite you on anytime you like, Dennis. It's a pleasure to always talk to you. But um, we've been talking about branding on the show recently, and last week we touched on personal brand, chatting to Keith Smith. And I've seen that you've been talking about this quite a lot recently. And I saw you, you're going to have to remind me, I saw you on um, uh, on a virtual event um, that you did recently, that video. What was that for? That was, um, uh, it was an event, an online event organized by Market Muse and it was called Content mm-hmm. Strategy Collective Live. Yeah, yeah. So what, I was watching that and I thought, I've got to get you on. You can talk about this uh, personal branding thing. Sure. So, but what I want to start with, because... Some people find this whole personal branding thing a bit icky, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a bit, oh, I don't know. I, I could say a worse word, I suppose, but um, uh, I suppose I should because we're rock star CMO. <laughs> but, you know, people, you know, people think they're embarrassed by it or whatever. But why do, you, why do you think we all need to think about personal brand? Well, first I would have to, I'll, I'll say I'm a little surprised. I, I haven't myself really heard about this concept that the personal brand is icky. I'm guessing it might be because some people are so prolific online that others feel like they're just too promotional or it's always mm-hmm. about me, 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 like buy from me, yeah. consult with me, I'll consult for you. So I yeah. guess there's an extreme end where people are too promotional and maybe they're working yeah. too hard, not just on their personal brand, but like g- generating business for their solo their solo business, perhaps. Um, So I hadn't, like, to be honest, I hadn't seen it too much being icky. I think the more common thing I see is a resistance or like a a lack of knowledge that you ought to be harnessing your personal brand. So I think your question is, why do you need Mm. one? I think the key answer I have is uh, you have one, whether you know it or not, or whether you want Uh. to acknowledge it or not. (laughs) Everyone has a personal brand, just like every business has a yeah. brand, uh, has a reputation, whether the business is managing it or not. So it's yeah. there. Uh, if you yeah, neglect yeah. it, then obviously it's a personal brand that could fall short. But it, you can, and and I should state, you can have a wildly successful career without ever managing your personal brand. You can just go to work, mm-hmm. excel, get raises and promotions. So I'm not yeah. trying to say that you must have it to achieve success. But on the flip side, if you have success with your personal brand, other benefits follow. So yes. in essence, I might, yeah. Yeah, I mean, on that point about ickiness, and I'm, tr- I'm using the wrong word, really. I'm probably, it's probably my English self-deprecation, <laughs> okay. you know, uh, pardon me, I'm sorry. And there's probably a bit of that that's, that's, that's playing oh. into my mind about the way people feel about personal, personal brand being slightly embarrassing. But I, I th- you have a great point. I mean, we've, if you throw up your page on LinkedIn, you've got a personal brand, right? Yeah. And you're out there already. So yeah. even if it's at a small level of, of, um, of managing the way you appear on LinkedIn, that's going to be, that's going to be important. And that's the first start with the personal brand, I guess. Well, <clears throat> I would um, actually, so that's, I'm sorry. Yeah, I would actually take it. I would take it one step further. I would say that, even if you have no trace of anything online ever, like you can't be <laughs> yeah. found online, because you exist in the world, you have a personal brand, and it's from the non the offline interactions you have still is a personal yeah. brand. Like the reputation yeah. you carry from showing up in an office, if we were to return to an office, still yeah. defines your personal brand, even if you never went online. So there's right, right. you exist in the world, therefore you have a brand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, you've touched on this just a minute ago, like that, you, you know, you can see why folks building a business or, or building their own consultancy need to put a, lo- a lot of focus um, into their personal brand. And I think we've covered this already, but it's something we all need to think about. What, why, 
what are the benefits do you think of, of of folks paying attention to their personal brand a bit more than just being nice in the office but why do you think that we need to get out there cult, uh, right be on social be on linkedin yeah. and all that stuff <clears throat> well i guess it's pretty obvious if you're running a solo if you're a solo practitioner like myself mm. where the personal brand being active can essentially help you find new clients or or pro- yeah. prospective clients <clears throat> i'll give a slightly different answer from the lens of a person at a full-time role so you might think I just need to do uh, do a good job mm-hmm. at my job. Do I really yeah. need to elevate my personal brand? I would argue, especially for marketers. So like someone in finance who's balancing the books, you might mm-hmm. argue that person doesn't necessarily need to collaborate with too many people outside the organization. They, they're inward mm-hmm. facing in a sense. And this is nothing to speak uh, negatively about accounting folks, but they might not mm-hmm. need to collaborate with others as much. But in a marketing yeah. role, you're essentially working all marketers to some degree work on elevating their company's brand. And so it should be natural for a marketer to understand the value of amplifying the brand, the corporate brand. But one thing they often forget about is their personal brand. So they don't spend as much time on their own personal brand. And I think in a full-time role for a marketer, you can do a lot of great things by being better known in your industry. So something as Mm -hmm. simple as connecting with other marketers. I think it's Mm -hmm. even fine to connect with marketers at competitive companies, uh, your competitors, just to know them. Because maybe years from now, you're going to be colleagues or there'll be a client of yours that's different from today. And the ability to connect and collaborate. So collaborate on content. You can connect Mm -hmm. with influencers to speak at your company's next event. The more you can Mm -hmm. do that, you're elevating your personal brand because you're connecting with very important people in your industry Mm. and your corporate brand comes along for the ride. So your Mm. company will benefit from you being so well connected within your industry. Yeah. And I mean, I've been around the block a few times (laughs) and in this CMS industry, and we were chatting before we came online about some of the mutual friends that we have. Um, and uh, yes, I mean, it's you will be surprised how often you're going to bump into people yeah. <laughs> through, yeah, exactly. through, through, through the length of your career. So, yes, you need to do that. But also, I mean, to your point there, I wonder if, you know, not just the value to ourselves in terms of creating our personal brand and becoming well known and becoming. But do you think that's now becoming part of the value of an employer and uh, of an employee? Do you think employers are now looking for people that have that can demonstrate that they can help promote the corporate brand because they've got their own personal brand? Oh, for sure. I think, I mean, you you see some companies that perhaps a little bit larger companies, they're looking to hire like the chief evangelist. So I think one example is Brian Solis at Salesforce. He's a very Mm. well-known influencer. Mm. And I think he was at Altimeter Group and Salesforce. I don't know his exact title at Salesforce, but I think he's essentially an evangelist role. And I'm yeah. pretty sure Salesforce hired him because of his reach, his uh, yeah. expertise, and his following. So, like, that's yeah. an extreme example of like the high end. I agree. But I think for all roles, you you could probably argue that for some roles, it's not a consideration for the, the hiring manager just because of the nature of the job. But yeah. if you work in marketing, there's nothing wrong with bringing an audience with you to a new a new employer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting too. I mean, because, um, you know, we're both in content marketing. Would you hire a content marketer who who doesn't write their own blog or who doesn't <laughs> do those things? Who doesn't, who doesn't have, who can't demonstrate to you yeah. the joy of writing outside of work, you know, and that's part of their personal brand. Yeah. You want writing to be part of their, part of their brand, <clears throat> don't you? Yeah. I think for sure it's a good thing. Um, this might be contradictory to what I've been preaching a lot, but I, <laughs> I try, I mean, and I'm not currently in a hiring role. I, I might be like yeah. in the future as I grow my business, but yeah. I, at the same time that I believe you should demonstrate what you're being hired to do. I mm-hmm. don't, I try to stay away from hard and fast rules, meaning like yeah. you must have a blog if I'm going to hire you. Because yeah, I think yeah. sometimes it's good to give someone a chance if you see the potential so that you yeah, could yeah. Uh, be uh could be ruling out really talented people just because they haven't done exactly what you're going to have them do. 
Yeah, no, and I I realised as I was making that point that I've just I've been hiring content marketing people that don't have blogs. So, <laughs> so I completely agree with you. Yeah. Um, what and what triggered you to think about personal brand? Because I I mean I know your story better than the, the listeners probably, um, and I know that you started blocking very early on. Yes. Um, and so so what what triggered you to to start to think about this? So it goes back to the year two thousand eight. I'll try to compress this story so I don't drone on for too long. <laughs> 2008, if you recall, it, well, certainly in the US, there was, I mean, the, there was the global financial crisis. Mm. <clears throat> it struck me really deeply when there was a date in, I think, September 2008 when, I'm trying to remember, Lehman Brothers folded, mm. a very venerable investment bank that I knew about when I was in college. I'm like, that company just folded? So anyway, I was yeah. at a job and I was laid off. So I was at a company that had gone public that year, but they had to adjust their business due to the financial crisis. Yeah. And coincidentally, a few months before I was laid off, I read this blog post that really changed my whole take on personal branding. It was by David Meerman Scott, a very well-known author and marketing mm-hmm. expert. He wrote The New Rules of Marketing and PR. Yeah, I have a copy <clears throat> and, of that behind yeah. me. <laughs> and I think I had read that book by David before this blog post, so I, I knew of him. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the title was something like "Downsized, Fire, Fired: The New Rules of Finding a New Job." And there's yeah. a great quote by David that says, um, "You must stop thinking like an advertiser, uh, an advertiser of a product, and more like a publisher of information." I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, and he yeah. he discussed how there was one hiring manager at Microsoft at that time that did not review resumes. The way you could get into a job that she was hiring for was to be found online. So it was like, wow. I was like, wow. So if you're wow. not, pub- if like she goes to Google or Bing and you she, you don't show up, she's not going to mm-hmm. consider you. So I took this blog post to heart. I think I was meant to read it because I was still employed at the time. Mm-hmm. I was late. I didn't see the layoff coming. Obviously, we were in a bad situation right. in the economy. Um, mm-hmm. But it, but so essentially, it, it the layoff took me by surprise that day. But I was so inspired by David that the day after I was laid off, I went to WordPress. Yeah. I think it was WordPress.org. I launched a free mm-hmm. blog. And believe it or not, in December 2008, I started blogging about virtual events. So yeah. <laughs> you could say it was a little <laughs> bit early. And I, for all of 20, 2009 and 2010 and even beyond, I blogged once a week on virtual events. I had some familiarity with the subject matter because that was what I was doing at my prior job. I was organizing yeah. virtual events. <clears throat> and so that's essentially the beginning of my my concept in my mind of my personal brand. Of course, based on my earlier point, I've always had one, but that's when I yeah. started really managing one. And I, it was niche at the time, even though virtual events are all everyone talked about in 2020. I was, yeah. I will claim that I was one of the top 10 experts online on the topic of virtual events in 2009. And of course, yeah, there's probably nice. 10 other people reading about virtual events at the time. So <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I think that's excellent. And I love the symmetry of, of that story and that, you know, because I think we talked about it last year. And I think you, 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 um, you wrote an article for us on Rockstar CMO about uh, virtual events. And I think the symmetry of, of, <laughs> of what you were doing in 2008 to where we find ourselves today was, was excellent. Yeah. And, um, and in fact, our, the, our last interview on the, on the podcast is about virtual events. So I, thought, that's right. I think that's really interesting. And, I, I've, and, and listening to you just, just made me realize, actually, I, I got a role as, a, as an analyst from back in the day from, um, from from somebody um, reading what I was writing on my blog and and what I was tweeting and and what I was doing back at I don't think we were tweeting back then no prior to Twitter <laughs> so it was just from my blog and stuff and from being out there and being at events and and having a personal brand as you say yeah. so I can say that the same has happened to me so that's that that that's really interesting and then after this you've always maintained that have you Dennis or was that just something you did and then you got your role and then you moved on or have you always maintained this. Um, well, I've always continued to write as a key element of my personal brand. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and fortunately, I felt, and, and I should mention, I even turned all of these blog posts because I had a year's worth, a few years mm-hmm. worth of blog posts. I actually self-published a book on the topic that is still available on Amazon today. If you, wow. search, for, um, if you search for Generate Sales Leads with Virtual Events, that's a book I wrote uh-huh. uh, using uh, via a self-publishing platform. And... <clears throat> 
I moved on from the world of virtual events. I joined a, a world you know of. I went to work for a CMS mm -hmm. vendor. And I, mm -hmm. I kind of thought about, should I just delete this blog? Um, I'm very thankful that I kept it around. So the blog still exists. It probably hasn't been updated. Yeah. Uh, and then since then, I've started to do more writing around broader things. Like I did a little bit around CMS when I was at that vendor. But now I've yeah. kind of established a little bit of a personal brand around writing about content marketing, which is kind of meta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or writing about yeah, marketing. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. And you're, um, unlike me, I mean, I haven't written for CMSWire, to be honest, for a, quite a while, but you're a regular um, writer for CMSWire, but you also write for Content Marketing Institute, which I haven't had that opportunity right. yet. So from a, from, a, um, from a growing your personal brand, you talked about having your own blog, but you've, you've been quite prolific and you've written for us at Rockstar CMO, which I'm grateful for as well. Is, is that a strategy we should adopt? Is, is that we should, we should write we should try and find these guest opportunities to write? <clears throat> yeah, I think um, you can, there's, there's no hard and fast answer, meaning I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not insisting that writing is the only way to grow your personal brand. There's many other things. There's things like True. curation, there's speaking, there's, you know, video. You could even grow a personal yeah. brand on TikTok, even though I have no uh, pers experience <laughs> using TikTok. But for, for me, I think writing is so important and it's pretty interesting because I think a lot of maybe the younger generation today, writing compared to other forms of media like video mm -hmm. and, you know, snaps and photos and all that yeah. is taken on a, like you might consider us a little bit older, uh, <laughs> older, <laughs> old fashioned to say writing is yeah. important. But I just yeah. think the written word is still so powerful and it's a great yeah. way to distill the essence of how you think and what your experience has been in life. That yeah. if you capture that in the written word, it's so powerful, uh, such a powerful way for you to be found and discovered, just like you mentioned with getting an analyst job yeah. from what you wrote. Yeah. I, it, it even goes beyond personal branding. I think just writing online compared to writing like a private journal is so yeah. powerful to me because people will discover your writing. Like there's the search mm -hmm. engines, so people might find you mm -hmm. even though you have no idea who they are, but they find you. And yeah. to, for that, for you to hear their feedback, like, when I remember mm. the first two months of my virtual events blog, someone actually contacted me and said, hey, I, I'm running virtual events. Can we talk? So I, yeah. I got on the old-fashioned phone, and we talked. Yeah. And he says something like, you know, last week's post, you were saying X, Y, and Z. And I was thinking yeah. about that. I was just blown away. I'm like, this not only yeah. <laughs> is he reading yeah. it, but he's contemplating what I'm writing. And he's we're now having yeah. an interaction based on what I left in my breadcrumbs on the web. And to me, yeah. that's so powerful as a writer to, to know that you're having an impact on just one other person in the world. And if you scale that yeah. out to more, it's, it, it's amazing. It's, it is. I, I agree with you. And I also think as a consumer of the written word, there's something more credible that somebody has put the effort in and written something yes. down that seems to give it more credibility than if you're just, um, then you're just watching somebody on a TikTok or something. Right. Like, something like, right. Not a huge amount of experience with TikTok either. So I, can, <laughs> I can't judge. But yeah, and I, and I think that's it. But on this topic, and it's, it's the same with being on pre present on social media and keeping our LinkedIn profiles up to date and, and, up, and being present on Twitter and stuff. A lot of people struggle, and I find this even myself, and uh, you know, I spend a lot of time on this podcast and stuff like that. But you spend, but people have problems with dedicating time to it. A lot of people say, "I don't have time to it." Right. What advice do you give them? How have you managed to sustain your commitment to to doing this stuff? I, I have two types of answers. The first answer is, mm. for me, it's natural because I just enjoy doing it. So, for instance. Mm -hmm getting on Twitter and being active and sharing content yeah. and interacting with others. I just love that. And I would yeah. be doing that even if I, just for fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, so yeah. It's, so I guess one advice would be try to combine, like try to find ways that amplify your personal brand in ways or mediums that you already enjoy. So it doesn't feel like you're spending mm. extra time doing it. Uh, and the second answer is even if you feel like, oh, this is, I got to, I'm too tired. I, I don't want to do this right now. Just figure out a way. It's, it's an investment. So it's an investment in yourself, it, which I believe, even if you're in full-time roles for till you retire, can help you gain more visibility or even get stronger roles in the future. 
So it's an investment that c- can be as important as you doing a good job at your main job. Yeah. Um, and it, it will pay off. So I think it's important yeah. to just, and it doesn't have to be a lot of time. It can just be a little bit at consistently is better than a lot in, yeah. in bursts. Yeah, I can't remember. It might have been David Meerman Scott. I was reading uh, recently about how you should do this even in the good times. Like like you say, when you're fully full-time employed, you think you're happy, you know, you're happy because like what happened to you and it's happened to many of us over the years and something sneaks up on you and then you and then you need to nurture, you need to go back to your network or to your personal brand in order to to find that next role, right? That's and right. You're going to build a network through content, aren't you? Which is effectively what we're doing with, with all yeah. this stuff. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So that's great advice. Thank you very much, Dennis. And I thought it'd be great to get you on and talk about personal branding. But then I thought to myself that, I mean, you know, we have the, the regular slot on the show about Rockstar, the, the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, now portal to hell for all the BS snake hole and overhype trends in our industry. Um, and it's been a while since we chatted about this because when before I started the podcast and we just had the online publication and I chatted to you uh, and you threw B2B newsletters that only linked their own content yeah. uh, back then. And I, th- I think that's a fantastic one. And it's funny, I had a professional conversation today about uh, a B2B newsletter. I'm like, make sure that you link to some useful content <laughs> that isn't your own. So I've, I've definitely taken that on board. Um, okay. But it's 2021. What would you throw in the Rockstar CMO swimming pool today? Uh, I, I have an answer. Just a quick comment on <laughs> quick comment on that that former item. It, it's yeah. actually like the B2B newsletter that only links to their own content. I've actually been yeah. doing some thinking about this. It's really not even a newsletter. It's like they you they acquired your email address and now they yeah. have you on this quote unquote nurture track. So all they're doing is like sending <laughs> you this drip. And I that might be something yeah. that I will throw in the swimming pool next time. This concept yeah. of the drip uh, yes. so they're just dripping stuff out to you saying hey do you want to click to our website do you want to click to our website and then you know trying yeah. to do the old-fashioned lead scoring so some b2b yeah. companies don't even are not even doing true email marketing they're just doing yeah that yeah, stuff yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay so this yeah. time uh i'm going to be throwing what i call legends that lead to laziness so here what i here's what i mean Oh, this sounds great. <laughs> I think all too often in marketing, there's these legends. A legend is, you know, you passed from one generation to another or from one marketer to another. Mm-hmm. Like back in the web 1.0 days, it was like for your keyword to rank, you have to have, it has to be listed mm-hmm. six times on the page. Yeah. So we had all these crazy rules where you, you had to make sure the word was listed six times, even though it wasn't natural. Yeah, and then that gets passed down and passed down, and you probably still have people saying that today, like yeah, on a project. Like, sure. let's make sure this word is list, this keyword is listed six times on the page. And sometimes yeah. it's true what gets passed down, and sometimes it's garbage. And mm-hmm. importantly, it leads to laziness because one person hears it from another, and then they just say, "Let's do it because I heard this works." Yeah, and that's yeah, completely yeah. lazy. I would rather people try things hands-on in their role. Like, let's yeah. try and experiment with keyword frequency and measure it and yeah. then try to adapt based on what you're directly learning rather than this whole legend. So I hate, yeah. I hate marketing yeah. legends. <laughs> I, love, I love that that's how you described it. I've, I read a book recently that was about marketing myths that we should, yes. throw, that, 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 that should be done. My, it might be on my desk. I can't see it. <laughs> but yes, ah, here it is. Myths of Marketing by Grant Leboff. Okay. which I can recommend to other people, Leboff. Um, and and that, that lists out a whole bunch of these these myths. But yeah. I love the idea of calling these legends and that they get passed <laughs> down from generation of That's digital right. marketer to generation. You know, back in 2008, we used to have to put six keywords on every page. And I shall do that too, sir. Great wise man. Yeah. That's excellent. I love that. So we'll chuck that in the, the swimming pool. Um and while I have you, if we, um, if the listeners want to spin the dial on the interwebs, where would they find you, Dennis? A couple of places you can. I'm most active on LinkedIn. My handle is at dshao, D S H I A O. Oh wait, wait, that was Twitter. <laughs> that was Twitter. On LinkedIn, you can look yeah. me up by name. If you mention that you heard me on the Rockstar CMO podcast, I will accept your invite because sometimes I get random invites. And yeah. then lastly, my. Brand new website that I talked about, attention-retention.com. Splendid. I'll include a link to that in the, in the show notes. I'll also include a link to 
the blog post that inspired you uh, from David, if I can find it, and that would be great. And also to your book, because I'm always talking about people's oh, books. So if somebody <laughs> wants a book on virtual events, then they can find that too. So thanks very much, Dennis. A great pleasure to catch up with you again. I look forward to you being on the show again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dennis, for some good advice there. And you don't need to want to be the next Gary Vee to get some benefit from taking care of your online presence. I will, of course, include all his links in the show notes and recommend you stop by his meetup. Here's some great speakers. Right, on to the next segment. Something to think about. Yes, folks, this is the House Martins from 1986, a band you might not have heard of before uh, with their song Think for a Minute. This week, I'm thinking about the topic of marketing budgets, inspired by a conversation on the This Old Marketing podcast by Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose, who is, of course, a regular here. They reported on an article in Marketing Dive that quoted Gartner saying that marketing budgets as a percentage of revenue had dropped to an average of 6.4% across all sectors. And the article goes on to discuss why, and some oddly conflictory stats, that advertising spend is actually up. I'll include a link to the article in the podcast episode in the show notes. They have a great discussion about the numbers, especially now in the pandemic. But what fired off my thought for this week was the concept of measuring marketing spend by the percentage of revenue, something that Robert on the podcast also bridled against. I admit, I've done it. As a CMO, I've talked to the CFO about budgets in those terms, using industry metrics to justify why I should have this amount of budget. And it's a compelling argument, as is often the case when you're talking about messaging. Strategies or money, marketing discussions with the C-suite often feature the phrase, what do the competitors do? So it's a good yardstick to justify the budget. What percentage of their revenue are they spending on marketing? However, it's flawed. If you think about the marketing budget as a percentage of revenue and describing it this way, it sounds like a tax, an operational cost or a business expense, disconnected from the main drivers of the business like revenue and growth. It's not a positive conversation. It's also very arbitrary and an odd thing for Gartner to rate the state of marketing against as it depends on what an individual business wants to achieve and how marketing creates the three fundamental things I call art, awareness, revenue and trust. A marketing budget is not a cost, a tax or a business expense. It is an investment, a fund for growth. And when deciding how much to invest, we need to understand what we want to achieve and then work back to what we need to invest to do that, whether those goals are to grow awareness or revenue. As a B2B marketer, my approach is to start from the bottom of the funnel. Consider what revenue marketing needs to contribute to, the average deal size, all of that stuff, and then figure out what we need to achieve. An, ideal, an idea of acquisition cost and therefore what achieving that revenue goal will likely cost. At the C-suite, setting a marketing budget as a percentage of revenue could be wrong in either direction. Moving the needle in some organisations could require a limited marketing budget, but a focus on other parts of the business, like customer care or product quality, to improve recurring revenue and improve retention. Now, of course, I <laughs> will make a strong case of marketing, but slicing off a chunk of the budget before understanding the broader business need could be a costly mistake. On the other end of the scale, a new business in a new category will need to do a lot of work building awareness and trust before revenue will follow, and therefore the investment will need to be higher. And of course, this needs to be understood in the business plan. So that's my thought for this week. When deciding the marketing budget, think of it as an investment, not as a percentage of revenue, and work back from what you want to achieve with it. Let me know what you think. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. Right, it's that time of the week. It's Friday evening. Time to wind down and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? 
Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. Uh, and welcome to the end of the week as well. It's, yes. uh, it's, uh, it's been a long week. I think we can all yeah. agree. It's, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's very hard to believe the, the, the advanced date that we're in. It, I yes. mean, it feels like this year is just flying by, but, yes. um, no doubt, uh, it is nice to be at the end of this week. Um, you know, here's, here's what I have for you this week. I have, um, there is a video going around. Uh, so are you a Tom Jones fan? Well, who isn't? I mean, he's a legend. Right. Of course. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. My mother was like, you know, the Tom Jones. I mean, she was over the moon for Tom Jones. Um, now, she was Scottish as well. So there's, you know, there's there's obviously the, the, the kinship there. But um, there is a video going around of him singing. Uh, it's not unusual. Mm-hmm. And he's now... 80 something um and uh and so and it's amazing and so i thought in celebration of summer and and by the way this is a drink that i think you're going to have the appropriate (laughs) uh uh, ingredients for actually um i'm going to make a tom collins nice Uh, and i think um we have a lovely lovely gin um which of course is the staple of a great uh, mm-hmm. Tom Collins, um, nice. and then of course a little lemon juice, a little bit of simple syrup, which I don't usually use, but this case I'm going to make an exception. Simple uh-huh. syrup, and of course uh, club soda, and a you know and a bit of a lemon wheel. I skipped the maraschino cherry, which I know is a signature mm-hmm. Tom Collins in many cases, but um, yeah. but yes, that I I, I I suspect you'll have much of those <laughs> ingredients. I'm just guessing. Well. Well, before I kick off, I have to point out, I'm sorry to, I mean, I never correct you factually because you're always right. But in this case, Tom Jones himself is Welsh. So well, I, you're, you I, are I correct. Lose, you, you are correct. I, I, and I am, I, that is a mistake. Yes. Yeah, I would lose correct. He's Welsh. Yes. Uh, but He's I, know, Welsh. I know what you mean about the Scottish. And all. They've, they've got that common, you know, Celtic. No, it's uh, no, my, no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I would be corrected by my mother as well, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, who needs that? All right. Uh, so you're going for gin, uh, and as you just heard, I am. I and as you predicted on my um, on my uh, desktop bar, I do actually, as it happens, have the same drink as you, and it happens to be gin. So that's marvelous. So, Damn, oh, how about that? Um, I got told off by Dennis uh, on Twitter, and he was on the he's on the show this week. That I keep asking you, did you put ice in that? And there's always ice in your drinks, unless it's unless it's beer or, or wine. There so, you go. So. I've done the ice. There's the gin. And what was it that you put into your gin? Uh, well, I put a little... I've made the classic Tom Collins, which, of course, is lemon, mm-hmm. some simple syrup, which I, I'm i making an exception for just to, because of the, uh-huh. the drink. Yeah. Um, I don't love simple syrup in my cocktails typically, but I'm making an exception. And then, of course, you know, your giant lemon wedge. But I do skip, which I know is a classic Tom Collins. I skip the maraschino cherry. Okay. I, just don't, right. I don't like maraschino cherries. No, but they they are the they are the classic Instagrammable. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Of a Tom Collins, like that, that is they correct. Are, they are disgusting, and but they are yes. they're very much of their time, isn't it? Which is that's 1974. <laughs> that's right. Yes, that is correct. My 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 my. Well, speaking of my mother, she she had them in the bar, and she she loved them. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm 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 not going to do that, and uh, because I'm going to go for um, uh, Indian tonic water, uh, which I haven't got my I've I've finished my fever tree, and my wife bought me some more tonic, so I've just got a regular a regular brand here, Schweppes Indian tonic water, which I shall oh bit more than that put in there. So what did we call this? Uh, we we called it a Tom <laughs> Collins, mm. is what we called it. Yes. Mm. Oh, that's delicious, Robert. I could, I could drink one of these every single week. So that's fantastic. Well done, you. So Tom Collins. And where would we be in in our geographically confused conversation so far? Uh, be drinking these? Well, I think we need to make up for it and just go to Wales, right? I mean, yes. uh, you know. <laughs> We've been to Wales. Take a drive. Take yeah. a drive through the the hinterlands that yes. is Wales. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's there's not much there, but but um, yeah. uh, we find some place. 
in Wales to stop yes. and enjoy some Tom Jones music and and, yes. and drink some Tom Collins. That sounds good. I, I think in one of the episodes we did we go to Wales in one of the episodes. I think so. Th- so that's that's nice. Uh, and also, I think it might actually be hot there now. I mean, not as hot as where it is where you are. I mean, it's it's, it's hotter than the moon. I mean, the is sun. it? Does it get hot in Wales? I would. I would. well, it, I mean, if you're Welsh and it's um, and it's twenty degrees. I mean, what would that be in Fahrenheit? Seventy-five degrees. You put it's probably too hot. <laughs> that's yeah. That's that's well, yes. That's but that's Europe generally speaking. <laughs> yes, we we when when it comes to the weather, um, uh, our um, you know, and it, and it t- the the temperature ticks up a little tiny bit, then and then we're complaining that it's it's this is way too hot. Um, yeah. But, and the moments before that, we were complaining about where the summer went. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So yes, so yes, on these fair hours. But today, I think across our, our all of our countries, uh, I think it's supposed to be nice. So so it's a good day to be in Wales. I should I should think. Perfect. Perfect. So we are probably my knowledge of Wales is is mid Wales. So we'd be in some kind of stone farmhouse or some country pub, probably looking over the uh, the rolling hills and the sheep. And all is that, that kind of isn't that all of Wales basically? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stone house with a pub nearby. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and um, what what um, what would our conversation turn to once we've uh, finished? Uh, you know, discussing all of the architecture that surrounds us. Well, you know, there's a. The, I have a uh, uh, an, an interesting one. I think uh, this week for us a discussion. You know, I was I was thinking about the classic case study. Uh-huh. Um, the customer stories that we write, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, and and if you look through your, uh, and I was actually talking with a, a client about this about a week ago, and we were looking at their library, and it's so typical of many marketing, you know, repositories these days of, of mm-hmm. customer case studies or customer stories. If you look at any one of them, they all have the same template, right? You know, yeah. the customer had big problem that yeah. magically precisely matched the solution that our company happens to offer. Yeah. Um, and lo and behold, they chose our solution to help them solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the proper application of our solution turned out to be exactly what they needed. Yeah. And now they're happy. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, we we just fill in the blanks basically when we make customer stories and case studies we do all of that and there's an interesting thing that i find which can help break out and it helped this client break out of that idea um of the template of what to write about basically how to you know how to think about writing a uh, a customer case study because it's like you know all right what how do you make this better how do you make this uh-huh. something more interesting and there's a concept in writing um, that's uh, uh, called Chandler's Law. Mm-hmm. And Chandler's Law comes from Raymond Chandler, um, the detective, pulp fiction writer, who basically said, whenever you're in doubt or whenever you're trapped in a, as a writer, basically just have someone coming through the door with a gun in his hand. <laughs> and, and, and what he meant by that was just if you're ever feeling stuck as a content creator, as a writer, mm-hmm. just introduce something remarkable that establishes tension and you'll, you'll have to work yourself out of that corner and you'll make something more interesting. Right. And it, Monty Python, um, John Cleese said that he called this the drop the cow, right? You yeah. know, whenever a scene is going on too long, you just drop a cow on someone. <laughs> and, <laughs> And so, so, but how do you do this in a case study, right? How do you, how do you, how do you actually think about this in a case study, you know, when yeah. you're, when you're, when you're doing that? And what I find is that, you know, so first of all, we have to just sort of do a mea culpa to the world and that says, you know, our customer stories, they're not factual because the first thing is like, well, we can't have a guy with a gun come in because that wouldn't be true, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like the first thing we have to admit is no customer stories are never true. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> let, let's just let's just be honest with ourselves. You know, with that heavy discount we applied 
to get them to actually sign the deal in the first place, the huge hiccup we had in delivery of the actual application to that customer that they ultimately forgave us for, those somehow never make it into the final customer story. So let's just all be, you know, let's just be honest that we're not. But I don't know what you mean with that. I've been in yeah, I've exactly. been in B2B tech for 20 years. I've never heard of such a thing. Exactly. <laughs> but here's the thing. If we actually, you know, when we go out and we talk to this customer, when we actually interview them for this uh, wonderful case study, there almost always is a drop the cow moment or a guy coming in with a gun moment, which, which you could, which you could use, you know, for example, in this client that I was working with, you know, they basically, they're a technology company and they had successfully done their technology for this new customer and it had gone fine. You know, it had gone about as well as any enterprise technology implementation ever goes. Mm -hmm. And when they actually thought about it, there was this really weird thing that had happened mid implementation, their project manager and the vice president client sponsor had gone out on paternity leave and maternity leave respectively. One was a man, one was a woman. And this sort of left this void in their implementation process and really it was a quite a dramatic turn of events for the implementation and created this huge challenge and they were late as a uh, as a result of it but not that late right they yeah. you know they they basically made it up they sort of worked around it and it was and it turned out to be fine mm-hmm. and instead of leaving out that fact that they didn't deliver the implementation on the schedule that they said they actually included that whole bit in the story and it made it way more interesting Wow. And, it, and it and it spoke to the realities of yeah sometimes things don't go the way you want them to but ultimately we're a great partner it, so it spoke to everything that they wanted to speak to but we also made the story more human also made the story less templatized and made yeah. it something that was worth reading and so that's well, that- the real magic of, of of finding your customer stories your case studies is yeah, you're trying to demonstrate the value of your business and the value of your product, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. if you don't add these unique elements that differentiate those experiences, they're just going to be appearing like everybody else in your competitive set. So, um, yeah, oh, I'm reminded of the, um, I'm reminded of the, uh, it reminds me of the Doctor Who um, uh um, it was the screen Robert Holmes who wrote a, a lot of the screenwriter the screenplays for for Doctor Who um, the third doctor who said uh-huh. uh, uh, a straight line may be the distance between two points but it's by no means the most interesting yeah so I think that's the that's the lesson for for customer stories I, I love that and also we t- I mean that 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 story that you just told is we've I think we've also referred to previously when we talked about case studies is that showing that vulnerability and that, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's exactly the, you know, it's, you know, it's just finding the weird, right? Mm. It's finding the, finding the human, finding the interest, finding the story in what is normally just a templated checkbox, you know, format. Mm. And it's just so much more interesting to read about humans trying to do things and in many ways failing, right? You know, one of the, uh, it's the first rule. Um, if you look up Pixar, um, yeah. and their sort of rules for storytelling, and yeah. I think it's called the 13 or the 26, I forget it's, I think it's the 13 rules of storytelling. And the number one rule is, you know, we admire a character much more for trying than succeeding. Yeah. And, and that's the, you know, so when we, when we sort of tell our customer story, it's not the, we, we, we know the ending, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're reading a case study, we know how this turns out. Mm-hmm. We know that the, you know, it's going to be a happy ending. No, no yeah. case study ever, you know, <laughs> ends with, and they didn't choose our solution, you know, so, <laughs> you know, but. And it, everybody got fired. And everybody is mad at us, right? Everybody's angry with us and they're a dissatisfied customer. So we know the ending. The only thing you can do then is make the middle interesting. And, and so get, you know, get, you know, we know in the end, the hero is going to get the girl or the guy. And so we just need to make the middle part interesting. 
Yeah, I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, I mean that's perfect. I love, I love that. I love the idea of, of of changing up case studies. I mean, it's a topic we we've covered a few times on the podcast, and and you know we have to move away from the formulaic, and we have to get to the point where they're worth reading, and that the reader, who's your potential next customer, sees themselves in the story and and understands what's going on. So I think that's perfect advice. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I noticed that you've started, I mean, a couple of times, I think, when I've talked to you on here and we talked about where people can find other writing like this, you said, oh, I've been neglecting it. But you've been back, haven't you? You've written some new stuff. And where would people find that, Robert? Well, you're very kind to notice. Um, yes, I have been actually trying to catch up, um, mm-hmm. as it were, and take some of the, you know, go into my Indiana Jones warehouse um, and... <laughs> And pull out some of the older pieces and actually get them up on the website uh-huh. and not have the cobbler's kids excuse. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, yes, that is at contentadvisory.net is our little hobble on the web. Oh, cool. And if people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Well, you'll find me on social media, of course, on Twitter, which I've been spending a little more time on lately. And, of course, uh-huh. LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, and those are the two places. Splendid. Well, uh, thank you very much. And thank you for the for the cocktail and the great advice. And will I see you in the bar next week, my friend? Well, of course you will. Well, splendid. Thank you very much. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. I knew that eventually I would get him drinking gin. Great advice there as usual to liven up your customer stories. Drop in a cow. So that's a wrap on episode 71 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Dennis and Robert. I really appreciate their time and for them sharing their insight. You can find all their details in the show notes at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Let me know what you think. Get in touch and please leave a rating or review if you like what you heard or just keep listening I'm glad you're here next week I chat with Michael Loban Chief Growth Officer at InfoTrust Jeff Clark will be back and as you heard Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar until then I've been your host Ian Truscott and I hope you'll join us again next week here at Rockstar CMO FM You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.